0: Okay, kids. So, see a few of you in here. Uh, how many of you have seen Frozen? Oh, jeez, okay. And not just kids, right? Big kids too, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, did you love it? Yeah, okay, all right, all right. So, maybe that was a, an understatement. Um, me too, okay. Uh, we just watched it recently, about a couple weeks ago, and I, I didn't want to like it, Um <laughs> I mean, everybody in our community group kept talking over and over, like every week that we met, talking about how great this movie is. And so I was, I was a little bit skeptical going into it, but al- alas, they were, they were right. Uh, it, for those of you who don't know the story, okay, the seven of you um, that are here... Um, let me, let me just quickly kind of summarize, okay? So it's about these two sisters, okay? In this, you know, ancient mystical sort of kingdom, of course, as any good Disney movie would be. Um, Elsa has magical powers, okay? She can make snow and ice. Should have had a kid come up here and just kind of explain the, the plot here. Um, so, you know, make snow and ice. And, and Anna, uh, her younger sister, is, is normal. In the opening sequence of the film, uh, Elsa accidentally uses her magic and, and injures Anna, and from that point on in the film, she is uh, forbidden to use any sort of magic, okay? She is uh, isolated, like she's kind of, you know, sequestered into this place by herself, uh, ashamed of what she's done, afraid of who she is, um, and overwhelmed with, with insecurity, right? It's kind of heartbreaking the way it all unfolds in the first really few minutes of the film. But about a third of the way in, right, for those of you who've seen it, she begins to, to shed her insecurities, Right? And she sings. Boy, does she sing, right? I mean, it, it, the song won, won the Oscar. Some of you, if you, if you have s- small kids, you are so sick of this song. Um, but we're going to watch part of it anyway. Unless, unless, <laughs> unless Patrick wants to come up and sing. No, he doesn't. Okay, so it may be familiar to many of us. Listen to these words, okay? We're just going to watch a couple minutes, minutes of it, and then we'll keep going. Let's watch. <laughs>
1: Don't let them know Test.
0: Yeah. Anybody just want to watch the, the rest of it, right? Well, tough. What do you think this is, okay? We've got work to do here. But, but okay, so, I mean, if you were listening to it, right, and the music of it, I mean, it just sort of, it, I mean, it gives me goosebumps, right? I've, I've heard this song way more times than I'd care to admit, right? And it still does. It makes me want to sing and dance. We did that as a family yesterday as we listened to the soundtrack. I mean, there's something about it. I mean, I actually want to let it go. And I don't even know what I'm supposed to be letting go of, right? I mean, I, I want to pick something up just so I can let it go when you listen to it. I mean, anybody else, right? I mean, there's just something about it. It's not, it's not just the, the song. It's not just the, the, the whole movie here. I mean, there's something about this that, that grabs us. What do you think it is? I mean, it's not just great music. I don't think it's just really clever animation, Okay, this movie won two Oscars and made over a billion dollars in the box office. We went to the store to buy something yesterday. They're all sold out. I mean, it's, it's crazy. What is it? Why do we love it so much? I think it's because we can all feel it. We, we all know what it's like to, to hide, to run. We know what it's like to be afraid or ashamed of who we are or what we've done, something about us. We know the insecurities that sort of rise up within us. And we long to be able to just sort of let it go, right? To let go of other people's expectations and demands. that that feeling of of never quite measuring up, to to letting go of of past mistakes or or current struggles. We, we, We know what this is like. And hey, I'd love to just sort of let go of all of these insecurities that seem so pervasive in my life. And I really wish it was as easy as singing a song, stomping my foot, and building a really cool ice castle with my magical powers. But we know better, don't we? I mean, even, even Disney knows better. That's why there's still a whole nother hour left in the movie. That something has to happen for this to be possible. The struggle runs too deep. And whether, whether you're a Christian or not, okay, no matter who you are here this morning, I don't, I don't know necessarily what it is that you would like to let go of. But you can only let it go if you have something better to grab onto. And, you know, we're not the first people to deal with this, right? Of course. I mean, this, this struggle, right? These, these insecurities, these, these things that we feel deep within are as old as Adam and Eve's rebellion. Every human has dealt with this, including this ancient church that we've been talking about. Right? These, these Christians from, from 2,000 years ago, even them. If you're, if you're new with us this morning, we've been studying the, the book of Hebrews, right? As, as we've said, it's, it's most likely an ancient sermon that was originally preached to a group of Christians struggling to hold on to their faith. Struggling to keep believing that Jesus really is better. That he's worth it. That he's worth grabbing on to. And we've just, these past several weeks, we've just worked through really the densest portion of the entire book right all this stuff about jesus as, as the high priest which is really really important and now at the text that we heard read and what we're going to talk about here uh, the author he sort of summarizes everything he's just said for the last five chapters and then he pivots towards application saying if, if this is is who jesus is then here's what it means for us and he knows the insecurities They'd like to shed shameful guilt, paralyzing doubt, lonely isolation. But he knows that you can't just let go. You can only let go if you have something better to hold on to. For only Jesus shatters our insecurities. And listen here, this isn't just like another form of of a let it go or maybe the more Christian version, let go and let God, right? Please, okay? I mean, Kelly and I, we were on a, as a family, we were on a road trip um, over spring break and lots of billboards, and, and one of them had a picture of a rock climber, mountain climber, with the caption, let go, Jesus will catch you. I mean metaphorically, right? I mean, because if you're really mountain climbing, that's terrible advice, isn't it? I mean, sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes we Christians, we say the most shallow things. We need something more, something to grab onto, and you don't have to be a mountain climber, you don't have to be a Disney princess. We need something worth grabbing onto, something that can replace our insecurities. And so this author gives us three. Because of Jesus, instead of shameful guilt, we can draw near. Instead of paralyzing doubt, we can hold fast. And instead of lonely isolation, we can stir up. So let's begin by looking at this something better we can grab onto. This is the part of the text where the author really—he he just reviews everything that he spent the last five chapters explaining in detail to us. But, but here's what he says: We're in chapter ten, Hebrews chapter ten, beginning with verse nineteen. He says, "Therefore, okay, that's a, a key that he's—he's he's sort of summarizing, right? Therefore, brothers and sisters, that would be implied. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way." But he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, okay, that's the summary. It's a mouthful, right? But this is is why Jesus is better. This is the reason for our confidence. Do you see that word there, confidence? I think that's really the key word of what's happening here. Confidence is the opposite of insecurity. That through Jesus' death and resurrection, we have direct access to God. You might remember back when we started Hebrews, we began by, by sort of summarizing the book with a very simple uh, equation, right? Uh, something like this it's probably hard to see. Maybe you still have the card in your, in your Bible. That, that Jesus is greater than blank, and we said that whatever you can put in that blank, right? It doesn't matter what it is. He is better. And this is why. This is what he's finally been building to, this, this, this preacher, this ancient author. That we now have confidence before the God who made us. Now, you might not believe it. I mean, if, if you're not a Christian, honestly, it may, it may sound kind of silly, actually, because you can probably think of a whole lot of things that you think is better than Jesus, And honestly, even if you are a Christian, we'd probably admit that many of us live our lives and that there are a whole lot of things that we think are better than Jesus. But just for a moment, no matter how ridiculous it sounds, let's just say God did create. Let's even go back further. Let's say God actually exists, okay? That's, so let's start there. Let's say he actually exists. So just let's, let's say for a moment. Let's say he did create. Let's say he created us. And let's say he created us to, to know him, to, to be in relationship with him, to love and, and be loved. That's, that's the reason we exist, let's just say. Okay, you with me so far? And then let's just say that, hypothetically, we rebelled against this God who made us, and that we continue to rebel. And so instead of living into the purpose we were created, we always choose that which is less. And the consequence is death kind of stinks, right? But let's also just say that this same God comes to rescue us through his Son. That he himself comes and he he gives his life and he offers us forgiveness and reconciliation and a second chance at actually living this life that we long to live. Let's just say, if such a God exists wouldn't perhaps just maybe, maybe, he'd be better? Worth holding on to. And so this is everything the author's been saying up to this point. And now, he begins applying all of this. If this is who Jesus is, then we can let go of our deepest insecurities. And he tells us that with three commands. Draw near, hold fast, stir up first off he says again instead of shameful guilt right we can draw near now who here doesn't want to be a better person right or or at least feel like a better person of course you do we all we all do we all know don't we that the shame that comes with our mistakes i mean there are things in my past there are things in my present that i'd love to just sort of let go of you see we weren't created for any of this Shame and, and guilt had, had no place in the perfect world that, that God made. But we messed it up. And we, we know it. And you can't ignore it. I mean, you, you can try, I guess. And, and you can't just sing, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free, and expect it to work. I mean, maybe if you work really hard to be good enough, then maybe... Good luck. There's got to be a better way. Look at verse 22. He says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. This is what Jesus has already done for believers. Hearts and consciences cleansed. Our entire lives washed. The heart we used to have has been replaced with something true, he says. So that we can draw near to God. That's the command here. And that remember, that's the reason we exist. It's, It's right here, but... But ask yourself. I've been asking myself this all week. It's kind of a scary question. Ask yourself: Have I ever really drawn near to God? I mean, really. Not not when's the last time you've had your devos, or how often you show up at church? Because if I'm honest, I spent a lot of, a lot of time hiding, running. And you and I, we both know the things that we go to to distract ourselves from this one who made us. Have you ever made it your goal to be near him? Now again, if, if you're not a Christian, that, maybe that sounds just completely impossible, right? I mean, God, if he even exists, he, he seems so distant, so out of reach. But have you tried it? Ask him to help you believe. Believe. I mean, the Bible gives a pretty wild promise. It says in James, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What would it look like for you to draw near to him? I mean, being at church is probably not a bad place to start, right? Are there people in your life, Christians, that you can, that you can get to know better? Maybe, maybe be in a, a community group. Join a group of people who are trying to, to seek out this God, to, to live this out. Or, or maybe, maybe start reading the Bible. Do you have one? I mean, at least one that's, you know, been translated into something that's a little bit more, more readable. If, if you don't, we have lots. Grab one of ours, okay? There's, there's plenty at the doors. Maybe begin reading the Gospel of Mark. Maybe even begin praying. I mean, if you're, if you're new to this or, or, or maybe not quite there yet, this one probably feels the weirdest, right? To, to talk to this person you can't see and that you're not even really sure exists. But it can't hurt, can it? Ask him to draw near to you. The only thing you have to lose here is your shame. And if you are a Christian, as many of us probably are, Really, it's the same here. I mean, the same ideas, the same things to to be doing. Simply ask yourself, what would it look like for me to draw near to him today? Not like, you know, some theoretical future, but today or tomorrow. What would it look like? But what prevents us from drawing near? I mean, I think a couple of things can come out even in what the author's talking about here in Hebrews of what gives us this ability to draw, draw near. I mean, for, for one, I think, I think sometimes we don't draw near because we don't actually believe that we've been washed, that, that we're actually clean and loved and accepted. You will never draw near to a God you're still trying to impress. Did you hear that? You'll never draw near to a God that you're still fighting, wondering, hoping that if you just do enough that he'll finally accept you and love you. You're not going to go to that God. God, that guy's too, too scary, he's too distant, right? You're, t- you're too busy trying to, to impress him. And, and also, on the other end of that, if you're not actively fighting your sin, you're not going to draw near to him either. I mean, if you're, if you're okay with your lust, or gossip, or anger, or whatever, you're not going to get closer to a holy God. We're going to keep hiding, keep retreating. You'll never draw near. And yet the amazing thing about this, this verse here, okay, so if if we can now draw near to God and yet we so often don't because of those things, what's amazing to me is the best way to believe that you're actually forgiven is to draw near to him regularly. And the best way to actually fight and even kill the sin that still lingers in here is to draw near to him. We are offered... The restoration of our purpose. Why do we run from it? If you believe these things about Jesus, or even if, even if you're just curious enough, and you want to be free of, of shame and guilt, let me just give you one simple next step. Really easy. One, one little thing to do. Ask yourself, what's the next thing you'll do to draw nearer to God. What's the next thing? And what's the next thing after that? But you know, guilt isn't our only problem, certainly. It wasn't their only problem either back then. I mean, remember for this ancient church, right? Hearing these words for the first time, all of this Jesus stuff was still pretty brand new to them. And they had had a million questions. They'd grown up Jewish, grabbed on to Jesus, but were now thinking of going back without Jesus. But Jesus is better, he says, and instead of paralyzing doubt, we can hold fast. Now, we're not just talking about doubt here. We're talking about paralyzing doubt, borderly, bordering on, on unbelief. And many of you know that I, I've, always, I've always struggled with doubt. I mean, as far back as I can remember, I can remember even in grade school, right? Growing up in church, stopping and asking myself, really? Do we really believe in this stuff? I mean, I can remember... As far back in that, and and even in in seminary, right, immersed in this, there were whole seasons where I struggled with doubt so much that I I thought about just chucking the whole thing. And even as a pastor, okay, there are times when still I stop and say, really? Really? I believe, okay? I believe. And yet, like Dostoevsky, the, the Russian writer, I love this, he says, my Hosanna is born in a furnace of doubt. That's where it springs. For me, that's, that's just part of who I am. And yet I continue to believe. And kids, students, as you grow up, doubt is a normal part of faith. Don't, don't, let, it, don't let it freak you out. Let it, let it bring you to a place where you can have good conversation with your, with your parents, with uh, anybody here at this church. We want to be a place where we can talk about these things. And, and really, too, if you're a skeptic and you're waiting for absolute proof to, to believe any of this stuff, you're going to be waiting forever, basically, okay? Absolute, it just doesn't exist. And yet, be honest with yourself. Because where do you have absolute proof for any of the things that you believe? Any of the things that you call most important to you? Doubt is normal. And yet, paralyzing doubt, or worse, unbelief, right? Or disbelief, is deadly. Look what it says in verse twenty-three. Then the second command it says, "Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." And when I read that, especially the "without wavering" part, it kind of you know freaks me out a little bit. It seems pretty impossible without wavering. I mean. I want to let go of my doubt, I've tried, but it it keeps clinging on, and and yet, when I read this, okay, what keeps me hopeful is, I love the reason that he gives here, how can we hold fast? Because we're so awesome, right? Right? Because we have all the, the right answers. We figured it all out. We know all the little details, and we can work out all those. Fa- no, none of that. It's, why? He says, let us hold fast, for he who promised is faithful. That's, that's what keeps me holding fast. And I, I know I've said this plenty of times, so this is, for some of you, this is just going to be repeti- repeti- repetition, re- repetitive, whatever. Um, but it's not, the, it's not the strength of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith. It's something we want to say over and over again. It's not the strength of your faith. It's the object of your faith. And so if you're falling off of a cliff and you see a branch, you don't have to have all of the faith that this branch can save you. You just have to have enough faith to grab on, right? That's it. And if the roots are deep, if the object of your faith is strong, then it will save you even if your faith is weak. For the one who promised is faithful How do we hold fast? Especially when it feels sometimes like we're swimming in a sea of doubt and cynicism. Well, let me just offer a few quick tips. Things that have have helped me as I've wrestled with my own doubts. First off, acknowledge your doubts. Acknowledge them. Acknowledge where you struggle. You're not not doing yourself any favors or anybody any favors by, by pretending they don't exist or hiding from them. Acknowledge them and talk about them with other people. Talk about them in your small group. Talk about them with, with people that, that you trust that are close to you. Parents and, and kids, talk about these things. Second, doubt your doubts. This is, this is an easy one, I think, for us, us to forget. When I first heard this, it was, it was really helpful for me personally. Let me give an example of this. When, it, when a tragedy happens, okay, let's say a mudslide in Washington State and kills a lot of people, right? It's terrible. It's in moments like that or those extreme situations when, when dark tragedy happens or deep evil and we see it where doubt raises up and says, how could God exist in a world in which something like that happens? I mean, we feel that, right? That's, that's a reasonable doubt. Many of us struggle actively like with that when we see tragic things in our world. And yet, doubt your doubts. Because the very fact of me calling that tragic implies that life has meaning. And if if we're just a, a collection of randomly produced atoms, right, headed towards dust, then life has no meaning. Nothing's tragic. And so the very fact of, of me being able to say that is a, that is a tragedy implies that that I'm, I'm meant for something more, which implies that maybe, just maybe, there's a creator who intended us for something more. I mean, nothing, nothing, inc- or nothing conclusive, right, as we walk through that. And yet, I think so often we assume that our doubts are rock solid and our faith is just completely unreasonable. But if you spend enough time doubting your doubts, you'll quickly see that's just, that's just not true. So acknowledge your doubts, doubt your doubts, but also refocus your doubts. Study the things that you struggle to believe. Um, let them push you forward. Have good conversation. Read, read about them. And even more than that, continually focus on the one who is faithful. Because yeah, there are, there are things about the Bible I don't understand. There are things that I don't particularly like all the time. And, and there are moments when, when doubt creeps in and it can, be, it can be challenging. But rather than focusing there, on the peripheral, focus on the center on the one who is faithful. I mean, a couple of the big reasons for me why I keep holding fast to faith in, in the midst of doubt, and I, I could give lots of reasons, but my two biggest, I think, at least this week, my two biggest, um, are, are one, I, I just can't shake this feeling of meaning that life matters, that love and beauty and joy and even, even fear and, and tragedy, like that, that, that somehow those don't mean anything. I just can't shake that, and that, that points to a creator. And the second big reason for me is I've yet to hear a really convincing argument for the empty tomb that doesn't involve resurrection. And if the tomb was empty, and if Jesus really did raise from the dead, then I'm with him. And I'm going to believe what he had to say because it just feels dumb to argue with the one person in human history who fought death and won. Listen, if doubt is a struggle for you, Maybe, maybe just another simple next step. Spend some time thinking, am I more focused on my doubts or on the one who is faithful? And if, if so, what would it look like to do some adjusting there, some refocusing? And you know what? It's so beautiful where he goes next. I, just, I love this, because none of us have to do this in isolation. It's a scary thing, right? You talk about all these other, the sin and the doubt and all. If we're alone, I mean, what chance do we have? But look where he goes next. Instead of lonely isolation, we can stir each other up. I mean, look at this. Think, think about this. He, here in these, these few words, this little tiny text, our three biggest insecurities, shame, doubt, and other people, It's all addressed right here. Let's look at this last one, verse 24. He says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I mean, without a doubt, one of the greatest sources of our insecurity, right? Of our, of our difficulty, of our fra- It's the expectation of others. It's the demands that we, that we feel. It's our, those relational challenges that are... We, I just can't imagine any of us here not having those, right? Put on us by others. I mean, like, like the song says, don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal, don't feel, don't let them know. And so easily in those dark moments of insecurity, we run to isolation, don't we? Of course we do. That's exactly where some of us live. You may, you may not recognize it. You might look like you have friends, but if you're, if you're honest, nobody really gets close. Not, not to who you really are. Or, or maybe you've just sort of given up having friends altogether. It's too much work. Life is, life is easier on your own, and you've got your list of excuses that make it okay in your mind. But if these things are true about Jesus... And he creates a whole new community. Unlike any other. And not just a move from from mere isolation to to friendship or even you know a cordiality. But all the way to this this kind of rich encouragement that he describes. I mean, think about this. How does does Jesus get rid of our insecurity? I think in two ways. To start at least. I mean, for one. Jesus was glad to die for you, for you. And if you trust him, if if you're in relationship with him, then Jesus, the son of God, calls you his brother or sister, that you are God's son or daughter, that you have confidence before God, he says, approved and accepted, fully loved. If that is true, I mean, who really cares what other people think? But it's not just that. It goes the other way, too. The gospel does, doesn't it? Uh, Because, yeah, Jesus was glad to die for you. Yippee. But he also had to for you because you are so messed up. Your heart is so dark. I love sin so much that the only way for the God of the universe who can do anything— the only way for him to rescue me was for him to come here himself, to become a man, to die on a brutal and ugly cross, taking all of the wrath that was stored up for me and taking it out upon himself. I mean, the gospel, it, it raises us to fathoms unthinkable of worth and value, and it humbles us to the very depths. I mean, how can you be self righteous to somebody else? Arrogant, proud unforgiving i mean how can we be anything but merciful and kind i mean jesus had to die for you think of what this would do to our relationships jesus shatters our insecurities but it's not merely that we can all sort of get along now right it's not what he says it's that we can stir each other up you see that That if if you are a believer, it is your job to stir up, to foster, to, to nurture, to encourage the love and good works in the people sitting around you. Wait, wait, what? I wasn't listening. Say it again. Whose job? Yours. I mean, many of us, if we're honest, we go to church because we want to get something out of it. And the moment we stop getting something out of it, we either stop going or we find someplace else, right? Even if we're honest. And I, and I hope you get something out of church, okay? But what if, for a moment, what if our primary reason for coming wasn't so that we could get, but so that we could encourage. Imagine the kind of community that we create kind of love and service and humility the the sacrifice and the giving and and all of these things that if only we took commands like this seriously what if we came to encourage there's a lot of things implied in this command aren't there it implies that we have community in the first place right we actually know people, that, that we actually have people in our life close enough that we can encourage, right? That it's even impossible to stir them up. And really, in a, in a church our size, that's impossible if all you ever do is show up on Sunday mornings. You, just, you, can't, you can't obey this command. You've got to be somehow in a a smaller connected group with people, whether it's a a community group or or a team serving uh, with others. There's there's got to be spaces in your life where you're building relationships so that you can encourage and be encouraged. And if you don't have that, you're not going to obey this command. It's not going to happen. And second here, another implication, really a straight-out thing he says, uh, he tells us to brainstorm about it which is such an interesting way of commanding it, right? Let us consider. He doesn't say just go do it. He says think about how to do it well. Brainstorm. What does it look like for the, the people in your life, the people that you love, the people that I love, what does it look like for us to encourage them and to do it well, to, to, to love and to good deeds? I mean, when's the last time you've stopped and said, you know, I'm going to spend some time thinking about how I can encourage those people? What a, what a cool idea. I mean, here's a a simple idea, a little brainstorm. Maybe just invite them to come with you. Maybe maybe that's a way to obey this command. I mean, presumably, right, you're you're loving others in some place of your life. Uh, You're you're serving others. Why not just invite somebody to come along? Maybe it's someplace here. Maybe you serve in uh, children's ministry, student ministries, on our hospitality team. Maybe you serve one of our ministry partners. Or maybe you have some other area that you're passionate about. I mean, the easy way to obey this command is say, hey, come with me. It's more fun anyway. We always have needs. Why not just find somebody that you can invite and say, hey, this is something I'm doing. Why don't you come with? Encouraging one another, he says. And all the more as we see the day drawing near. He's talking about the end, right? And we'll talk quite a bit more about that next week, kind of the, the hard side of this really encouraging command. But life is hard. I think that's what he's saying. I mean, we won't be here forever, and for this ancient church that he's speaking to, persecution was on the rise. And the harder it gets to be a Christian, the more diligently we need this command to encourage each other. A couple of weeks ago, I saw a couple of uh, a few of you really living into this. It was it was really fun to see uh, one of our one of our community groups. Uh, decided. I don't even know how they decided it. Um, they didn't even know I'm going to mention this this morning. But uh, they decided that they wanted to each write a personal note to several of our pastors. Uh, and then one day, like two weeks ago or three weeks ago, whenever it was, they came with this like pile, this physical pile of encouragement and dropped it off at the church. I mean, this, this, is, this is my pile right here, okay? Um, what a beautiful picture, right? I've got to tell you, I have kept... Every single note, encouraging note, I've ever received as a pastor. Because my ego is just so fragile. Maybe, okay, that's possible. But I think more likely it's because life is hard. And following Jesus is hard. And every one of us, no matter what we do, pastor or not, we need this kind of encouragement. People to speak into our lives, say, keep it on, keep going, don't give up, do this, try this. We need that so one more simple next step who will you encourage this week and decide that right now in this moment because you'll forget right decide who it is maybe, maybe one name maybe a couple of names maybe it's a group of people who will you encourage this week to keep going do it they need it so do you we well, you want to know my favorite part of the movie it wasn't the song. I mean, as fun as that was, right? It's, it's great, and it's fun to listen to. But when you think about it, the song is actually pretty anticlimactic um, because nothing actually ever happens because of the song. Uh, you know, she can say, let it go, and all that. But really, if you, if you think about the story, she grows more and more isolated, more and more afraid and ashamed and alone, right? In this, this castle that she's made for herself. Nothing, it just gets worse at that moment. The best part doesn't come until the end. And I hate movie spoilers, but it's your fault for not seeing it by now. Um, and besides, it's a kid's movie, okay? It's not like some twist ending, right? At the, it's, it's pretty predictable. But I love, I love the end. Because when does real change happen for Elsa? It's not when she decides to, to let it go. Real change happens for her when somebody gives their life for her. That's what happens in the movie. And it's only in that moment when she sees someone dying for her mistakes, for the things that she's done, it's only then that she can change. And the line that follows, right? An act of true love will thaw a frozen heart. Cheesy, but what do you expect, right? Of course. Friends, that's our story. That's the story. Only Jesus can shatter our insecurities, And we can only let go of them if we have something better to grab onto. And look what he has done for us. You can draw near to the God who made you, the reason you exist. You can hold fast to to faith with with hope, with, with confidence, with joy, and we can stir each other up. We can live in intimacy and relationship with one another in a community that makes this possible. God help us.